Listen, my son, to a father's instructions. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning. When I was a boy in my father's house, still tender, and an only child of my mother, he taught me and said, Lay hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commandments and you will live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Esteem her and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honour you. She will set a garland of grace on your head and present you with a crown of splendour. Listen, my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. I guide you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it. Go on your own, on your way. For they cannot sleep till they do evil. They are robbed of slumber till they make someone fall. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn. Shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them. And health to a man's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet. And take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Let's just pray for James as he, as he comes up to us. Uh, to speak now. Father God, we thank you for your servant James. We thank you for the time that he's put into preparation of this passage today. But we know that uh, James can't do this on his own strength. He, requ he requires the help of your Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would guide him through your Spirit as he brings your word to us today. And pray that we may not go out here empty, but as, as, as promised, um, we, we, we would go about equipped and with the courage to apply what you've got to say to us, to each of our lives. Amen. Well, it's a real privilege to be here in person. Um, yeah, just so exciting to be back. So, as I was preparing this talk, I asked a bunch of people what they wanted to be when they grew up. In fact, in particular, I asked a bunch of young people in this church what that question. And the answers that they came up with were wide and varied, and there was no shortage of ambition. I've sprinkled in a few of my own to keep it anonymous. 
Um, but if all of the young people grew up to do these things, then it'd be really good. They'd be making the world by and large a better place. This passage, however, argues that whatever else you might want to be as you mature, whichever job you do, whatever else you want to get, you should pursue something else. And, you know, it's no secret, that's being wise. So, as you can see in verse 7, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever else you get, or though it costs all you have, get understanding. Quite how you translate it is um, complicated, and you can ask Christopher Samuel if you want to know quite the nuances behind that. But it doesn't really matter, because this translation makes it even stronger. For most of, lots of you, you already have jobs. You have finance and positions with, that come with your jobs. And, you know, what do you do with that? Well, this text argues that whatever else you do with it, you want to get wisdom. Though it costs your job, though it costs all of your income, pursue wisdom. And, of course, that begs the question, why? Why do we want wisdom so much? And we're told in verse 4, that it is the secret to living. Um, Verse 4 says, Take hold of wisdom with all of your heart, keep my commands, and you will live. And I don't think that means just be wise and you won't die. I think it means that if you have wisdom, you'll have life to the full. So to paraphrase verse 8 and 9, I haven't got them up there, the secret to living an honourable life a crown life, a decorated life, is wisdom. And I don't mean comfortable, I don't mean wealthy, I don't mean full of health and good fortune necessarily, although Proverbs does relate to all of those things. What I mean is that the wise life is a life that, at the end of it, when you see God, he will be able to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Wouldn't you like to live like that? I know that I would. And so if we're pursuing that this passage is a good place to start. And I'm not going to be able to dwell into every single nook and cranny of this passage. And so instead, I'm focusing on three rules for wisdom, three ways that I think stand out from this passage on how to live wisely. So, without... And they correspond roughly to the verse divisions that you see up there. Sorry, it's not 29, it's uh, 27. This chapter has 27 verses. Um... Anyway, without further ado, let's start with rule one, which is a wise life involves listening to dad. Now, I wonder if you've noticed how many times this passage has a dad telling a son, listen to my words. You know, it's there at the start of each of those passage headings that we had. It's there in verse one, verse 10, verse 20, verse 20, and a few other places. And indeed, it's the entire framing for this section of Proverbs from verse one to verse nine. At the start of almost every chapter, It's the dad going, my son, listen, my son, listen, my son, listen. Um, And so we, as the readers of this book, have this awesome privilege of listening to this conversation between the wise dad and the son. And in general, when you come to scripture, especially the histories, you don't really want to be going, okay, who am I in this passage? Because that's not normally what it's about. But I think the book of Proverbs is a bit of an exception to that. I think, you know, as we saw last week, there were the characters of the simple and the wise and the fool. And we're kind of meant to go, okay, how do I fit into this? How am I to approach this book to learn? Um, And so when we come to this passage, 
don't know about you, but I identify far more with the son who needs instruction. Um, and biblical application of that, I think, is really quite simple. It goes even further. Because when we step out of the context of this narrative, where you know the story is the dad talking to the son, we can not only identify ourselves with the young child who needs instruction, but we also know who our father is. And quite simply, our father figure is God himself. Where am I getting this from? Well, you know, from basically all through scripture. Um, if you want to look anywhere, John 20 verse 17 says, um, Jesus says, I'm ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and your God. Or in Galatians 4 verses 6 and 7, um, it says, Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts to cry, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So, you know, it's all throughout scripture, but the most obvious place, I think, is, you know, the start of the Lord's Prayer, where we're instructed to come to God as our Father. And so, you know, the application is quite obvious. We, like the son in the story, are to listen carefully to the Father's instruction. So, what might that mean for everyday life? Well, the one way that I am absolutely certain we can hear God's instruction is by reading this book. Um, so, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, I have give or take half an hour or so to talk with you and get you thinking about this passage. And half an hour or so in a week of seven days with 24 hours works out to... Oh, there we go works out to less than a three hundredth of your time. If you're mathematically inclined, that's how the maths works out. So, less than 0.3% of your week. And if we have the very words of God, which we do, then surely it is wise to dedicate more of our time than that to hearing his word, to prayerfully meditating on it. You know, if this is the word of life, we want to be plugged into it. So, you know, it's a very straightforward and simple point of application but read your Bible. I mean, the passage is very insistent. In verse 1, it says, pay attention. In verse 2, do not forsake it. In verse 4, take hold of his words. Do not forget his words. Verse 5, verse 13, hold on to instruction. Again, pay attention in verse 20. And that's only in this chapter. All throughout the Bible, we're told to treasure God's word up in our hearts. And so, the best and most straightforward way to do that is to read God's word. Alongside that all, it's worth mentioning a slightly different dynamic that's definitely framed here. And that is that the family is the place that God has established for wisdom to be taught. So schools and universities and scouts and football clubs and extracurricular activities are all good places where we go to learn. And, you know, rightfully so, I'm not bashing them, but none of those were instituted by God. Um, yes. The family, however, was. So, what am I saying? Well, okay, if you're here and you're under the age of 18, if you're still living with your parents, I'm about to make myself rather unpopular. Because, yeah, I'm just going to say it. Listen to mum and dad. And I know, it's not always easy. It's not always fun. And your parents aren't perfect. But they are wise. And they are there to teach you and to make your life better and fuller and wiser in the long run. 
So, you know, in general, listen to mum and dad. And if you're a parent, I hope you're feeling the weight of this responsibility. And it's not easy, and I know. I am a single bloke without kids, so I don't know the difficulties of parenting. But I have seen my parents nurture and bring up five younger siblings, and, yeah, it's hard work. There's so much complexity there. So I'm not going to give you advice. But I'm going to say I really do pray that God will help you to keep on going well in that. Because, you know, it's a God-given responsibility. And finally, if you don't fall into those categories, if you're not the parent of a child who's at home, if you're not a child, be encouraged because God has instituted the church as the other place to learn wisdom, as God's family. Now, obviously, we come you know, as brothers and sisters in Christ. But still, there's so much opportunity to go to people in church, to have people come to you in church, to, to teach wisdom to each other. The Christian life was never intended to be lived in a vacuum. So, that's it. let's move on to our second point, which roughly corresponds to verses 10 to 19. And the instruction is essentially, choose which path you walk along carefully. So, the son is instructed to walk on the right path and to avoid the wrong path, the path that's called the path of the wicked. And the writer, pardon, the writer is very insistent that we don't even step foot on it. Look at verses 14 and 15. Mm, yes. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the ways of evildoers. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go on your way. And why is he so insistent? Well, because, as he says in the following verses, the path of wickedness is habit-forming and it is dangerous. So, verses 16 and 17, for they, that is, the wicked, cannot rest until they do evil, they are robbed of sleep until they make someone stumble. They eat the bread of wickedness and they drink the wine of violence. So there's two vivid metaphors for the habitual nature of the path of wickedness, two of the most basic human needs, sleep and food. He says that if you walk the path of the wicked, you'll become dependent upon it to sleep. And I've been robbed of sleep by travel, by anxiety about work, by all sorts of things, and, you know, it's common experience. Lacking sleep is never fun. And if you are walking along the path of the wicked, the writer presumes that you will be unable to sleep unless you have made someone stumble. And it's the same idea with the next verse. Um, bread in the ancient Middle East was not, you know, was a staple food. So, to paraphrase Sam Albury, the attitude to bread was not, would Sarah like some bread for the table? But rather, if you did not have bread, you do not eat. So the father is warning about wickedness, that if you start down on this path, it will become as necessary to you as food or as drink or as sleep. I'm going to interrupt myself here to clarify something. Note who this is addressed to. It's not addressed to the wicked. This is still addressing the son, the one who is already part of the family. The address to the wicked comes elsewhere in Proverbs, both earlier and later. 
where they're called to come and to join in and to listen to the voice of Lady Wisdom. Now, this presumes that you are part of the school already, that you are the son who is listening to the wise words of the father. Or, to stop beating about the bush, this is not talking about how to be saved. This is talking not about earning your salvation or about doing things to make yourself right with God. That all comes from the finished work of Jesus on the cross. But we do not have a God who wants to save us and then just leave us as we are with nothing to do. No, God saves us and adopts us into his family. He saves us and he promises us eternal life with him in the new creation. And that is not all, because God cares about our lives now. So when we come to this warning and to the book of Proverbs in general and the Bible and the rest of the warnings in the Bible... We come to them with the understanding that God is giving us this wisdom to shape us and transform us and to help us to live our lives well in the here and now. So with that in mind, let's carefully heed the warnings about sin. They're still given to the sun. They're meant to make the sun's ears prick up, meant to make him listen. Um, Because if your path is filled with darkness and stumbling, then keep on from treading on it. And I have a story that I want to tell that I think will highlight this quite well, and that's the story of Ming of Harlem and Anthony. Anthony and Ming. Anthony was, back in 2001, a... Sorry, 2000, he was a 30-year-old taxi driver who lived in a five-bedroom apartment. And Ming was small and cute and fuzzy because he was a baby Siberian Bengalese tiger. And I don't know all of the details, but I presume that the story went thusly, because he got him when he was eight weeks old. So I presume he got him, and he was small, and he was cute, and he, you know, gambled around the apartment, and he fed him bits of steak or whatever, and maybe he was a bit more scratchy than the average cat, but he wasn't something that he couldn't handle. Fast forward three years, and Anthony as you might have predicted, shows up in the American equivalent of A&E having been mauled. And because, you know, he's quite attached to his tiger, he says, you know, it was a pit bull, but of course the healthcare workers do not believe him. And they send animal control around his apartment and they find a almost 500 pound tiger in the house. And because you're all going to not going to sleep unless I tell you what happens. They tranquilize it, and they take him, and he lives off in an animal reserve in Ohio happily for the rest of his days. So the tiger is fine. They also found a five and a half foot alligator in the bathtub. <laughs> okay, story aside, the point is that sin is like that tiger. When it appears, it might look harmless and small and innocent. But it is out to kill you. I was discussing this with a friend, and he pointed out to me that it might sound like I'm implying that sin, once it first survives, you know, is harmless, and as long as you get rid of it quickly enough, it's okay. That's not quite the point. The point is that it looks harmless and small and fun, but it is not. So... Be careful about which path you walk along. Thirdly, finally, 
Let's come to what I consider to be one of the key instructions in this passage. The instruction in verse 23, which is, above all, guard your heart. And it's important, I think, to understand what this means. There's no particular idea of romance in this. It's not just being told to be careful about what you love, although, you know, that too. But the writer immediately lets us know that the heart is that which everything you do flows from. Um, not quite. Not quite there yet. Um, and if you're in doubt, then the writer goes on to talk about other body parts that are affected by the outpouring of your heart, namely your mouth, your eyes, and your feet. So, let's go where the text leads and look at those three things. Firstly, your mouth. And it's a very simple instruction. Keep perverse or crooked talk from your lips. And I don't think that this need be restricted to what comes, just goes past the boundary of your mouth, but, you know, also what you tweet and what you post on Facebook and what you Instagram and what you text message and, you know, whatever forms of communication. And the instruction is to keep everything that you communicate from being crooked. And I think this in part means that it's wise not to use perverse and ugly words, certainly not to use them for beautiful and wholesome things. But you don't have to have been around for very long to notice that it is possible to say crooked and perverse things in the most honeyed and polite ways. The command is simple. Guard what goes beyond the boundary of your lips. And, you know, nothing more complicated than that. The second and third things, I think, are looked at best at the same time, your eyes and your feet. And to illustrate this, there we go, I'm going to talk a little bit about Clarkson's Farm. So, have anyone here seen Clarkson's Farm? Okay, a fair number of you. Um, for those who haven't, the basic premise is that Jeremy Clarkson, um, you know, presenter of Top Gear and the Grand Tour, has decided, I live on a farm, why don't I try and run it? Never mind that he's had no prior experience of farming. And this makes for some surprisingly entertaining television, as the headstrong Type A presenter just gives it a go and muddles through the ins and outs of farming, much to the bereavement and sometimes the frustration of the farm crew that he's employed to help him. But my main point is about his tram lines. So early in the episode, he's ploughing his field. And his long-suffering assistant, Caleb, told him specifically, what you do is you go straight up, you do a three-point turn, and you go straight back down. But he's short on time. And so instead of going along the path that he's been instructed, he goes up, does a U-turn, goes back down, does a U-turn, goes up, and tries to fill in the gaps. And as you can imagine, it doesn't end particularly well. Um, so first problem is that his tram lines are just completely wonky and all over the place. And the second problem is that the harvester lifts up and um, allows for tram lines where seeds aren't planted to allow the crops to be sprayed well. So it's a complete disaster. And essentially, I think it illustrates roughly what this verse is telling us to do, or perhaps it illustrates what it's telling us not to do. We are told to not let our path turn to the right or to the left, but to keep pressing forward. And, you know, these verses, needless to say, aren't just about good advice about how to plow a field or how to go for a walk. They're guidance for living life where we are to keep pressing forward, keeping our eyes fixed on the goal. 
And you're probably asking, what is the goal that we're to keep pressing towards? Well, in the book of context of the book of Proverbs, the path is a wise and sensible life that we're called to. We're called to keep our eyes focused on that. And I think that if you're a believer today, this can be extended quite naturally into the other thing that the Bible calls us to keep our eyes fixed upon. So, if we look at Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, we are told, Let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And this is a nice and simple commandment that is lived out in hundreds of ways. And I'm not going to leave all the way through the book of Hebrews, but I encourage you to go home and you know, read through it. And in particular, read through chapter 11 and look at the people who had their eyes fixed in faith upon God and, you know, on Jesus, um, that show aspects of what living life focused on Jesus looks like. Um, and so, you know, as you go about living your day-to-day life, doing all of these normal things, let the fact that your goal is life in eternity with Jesus change and transform you. So, you know, you're not... Well, I don't know. I don't know if you are. I'm not very likely to get up at 5.30 in the morning to go for a swim. But an Olympic athlete might. Why? Well, because they have their eyes fixed on a goal that they're trying to accomplish. And Jesus is a far better goal than the Olympics. So let's fix our eyes on him and run the race like that is true. Um, So... You know, to close, I'm just going to say, you know, let's try and run and live that life. I've told you lots about how to live the life that, um, you know, sorry, I've told you lots about what a life lived directed towards wisdom looks like. And I'm going to end just with the very simple command on how to do that, which is trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, submit to him, that's God, and he will make your path straight. So, you know, if you want to go and live out this faith-filled, honourable life, do it by trusting in God, do it by focusing on him. And, you know, if you want to do this as I want to, then I'd like to pray for all of us that we may do that well. So let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, please give us this wisdom that we've heard about today. Help us because we cannot do this for ourselves. We cannot do this without you. Thank you for your word which makes us wise to salvation and makes us wise to know how to live in this world that you've made.